I'm going to try something new this year, or at least for today. I'm going to sit. Um, I'm a little self-conscious that sitting makes me look chubby. Um, so I want you not to think that of me. And I'm also kind of battling a cough like probably everyone here. So I'm double fisting the drinks today. So I'm going to do my best not to uh, spill anything up here. So again, happy new year. Um, I hope you guys had a great Christmas break, great holiday season. I did. I got a chance to go up north. I got a chance to see the Detroit Lions play. It was great. Uh, highlight of the game um, was to see a Bears fan get kicked out of the game. It was great um, that we lost the game. And so having that Bears fan kicked out was pretty neat. I just wish it would have been the guy that was sitting next to me. Um, I took Tim with me and he wore his Bears hat. So where you at, Tim? Yeah, yeah go Bears. So then we rest, spent the rest of the day rooting for the uh, Vikings, and the Vikings won, and the Bears got kicked out of the playoffs. So it was great. Great day for me. Also want to thank Debbie for filling in uh, for me last week. Thank you, Debbie. Great job. Uh, thank you to the elders for letting me get away. Uh, it's always nice to go up and see family to uh, uh, get some snow for Christmas. Uh, took the kids sledding two different days uh, while we were up there, and it was, it was insane. Uh, hilarious moment, and you got to visualize this, and I don't have a picture. I should have put one up there for you guys to see, but they have this, this sledding hill we got up here at this park, and it's uh, um, just flooded with, with kids on sleds coming down left and right everywhere going, trying to get up this hill, and they have two walking paths, but everyone's coming down, and it's just, it's funny to see these kids that come down this hill, get to the end, they're laughing and giggling, getting up, you know, whatever they're doing, and then instantly their laughs turn to uh, screaming and crying because what would happen is then they would, and I don't know if it was some snow-induced intoxication or something like that, but it would, they'd get wiped out by the next sled coming down the hill, and it wouldn't matter. Every, they'd, every time they'd forget, they'd come down the hill, get up, laugh, and get wiped out by the next sled, and it was just a great time. Needless to say, got some great videos that day of the kids being wiped out. So, um, but it's 2013, who's ready? Who's got, all right, who's still holding on to 2012? Calendar's still up, tree still, you got Christmas tree out. Good. What's that? I took you took your calendar down? Well, good, Catherine, that's good. Um, but uh, uh, how about a list of resolutions written? Anyone got those written? Anybody? No, no one wrote. One person wrote. I know you're lying because I've seen your Facebook posts, guys. You know, I, I've read them. I've read them. Um, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I believe in you guys. But uh, Facebook has been flooded with New Year's resolutions. But how, uh, how many are holding on to last year's? Haven't given up on last year's resolution yet. Anybody? A few of you, right? Right? Uh, well, as a community, as we step out into a new year, I want to get things started right. I, I want this to be the best year of your life, and I want this to be the best year of my life, the best year for the Grove to date. Uh, um, and I personally haven't set any goals yet. I haven't made any resolutions. Instead, I wanted to make a different change this year, an uh, inside-out change. And so I wanted to change the way I saw myself in this next year. I wanted to change the way I viewed myself, my family, my church, uh, change my perspective. And so I'm asking the question this morning to you and to myself and, and every day moving forward, how can this be the best year spiritually, emotionally, uh, physically, vocationally? How can this be the best year of your life? And I believe it starts with our perspective, uh, the way we see things, the way we see ourselves the way we view God, the way we view our families. And we need to look uh, at our, our health, our career, um, everything we are and do uh, with a different perspective. Um, would you agree with me that perspective, uh, that uh, the way you see things, the, the lenses you wear control what you're looking at? Um, how many of you have glasses on or, or have contacts? 
Several of you, right? How many of you need them but refuse to give in? Yeah, that's me. I have needed glasses for years now, um, but I always viewed glasses as a weakness. Not for you, for me. Um, you look great in them, but uh, I didn't want anyone to think that I had weak eyes, right? You know, but, but this year, I, I'm changing. I'm getting glasses this year, so those will be coming. Um, thank you. My name is Jeff, and I'm... <laughs> so, I need glasses. But for some of you with glasses, uh, I know you view, your view is extremely different when you take those glasses off. Uh, AJ let me put it on his glasses this morning. And they're like viewing for those, through those old-fashioned Coke bottle glasses. I mean, you, I don't see anything. It was just they disappeared when I put them on, and it was, it was great. Uh, I, I feel bad for AJ when he doesn't have his glasses. But some of you, uh, uh, if you've ever put on someone else's glasses, you know how hard it is to, to see through those. Um, but for, all, for now, all I have is sunglasses. And I have this pair of sunglasses with these yellow lenses in them. And someday when it's cloudy out, I just wear them because it makes the day seem brighter, you know. Um, but let's say, take for instance, 3D glasses. Uh, I can't stand to wear those glasses. Uh, they mess with my depth perception, my ability to focus. Um, so I refuse to go see 3D movies. But my kids love them. They, they think they're the coolest thing. So um, I went with some friends right before Christmas to see The Hobbit. Um, and some of you are, are here that went with me. And um, I wanted to make sure before we went, we saw the regular one. I was like, I am not going to go see this 3D movie, you know. And so we, we called ahead and made sure it was the right one. And so we're in there and we're watching what seems like 20 minutes of, of previews. And the movie's just about to start. And the words come on the screen, screen to say, put on your 3D glasses now. And we're like, wait, wait, wait. And sure enough, movie starts. Bilbo Baggins comes out. He's all fuzzy and pixelated. We were irritated. I was irritated for sure. And, and the only thing worse than seeing a 3D movie is seeing a 3D movie without 3D glasses, right? And so, <laughs> so we got it fixed. I think it was Sophie who went out. She took care of it. But for some reason, we sat through another 20 minutes of the same previews uh, before the correct movie played. So we were like 40 minutes into a, a three-hour movie. So it was a long night. But... Uh, the way you view something, your perspective, the lenses you're wearing uh, ultimately control what you're looking at. The Bible teaches us uh, that seeing and believing are closely related. We understand that faith is believing in what's not seen. So you don't physically see it, but rather spiritually speaking, you see it. Uh, the way you see something really affects what you believe about that something. Uh, one of the things I love about this Grove Church community is the many different ways we see things. And the freedom we have uh, to change our perspectives and, and, and how we view things. Uh, we all come from different backgrounds. Some of us come from church history backgrounds. Some of us have no church history in our background. So we view worship differently. We view pastors differently. We view what biblical community is differently. Some of us view scripture differently, accountability differently. And some of us even view God differently at times. And so when it comes to 2013, my guess is that all of us are viewing this year, this, our future, a little bit differently. And so this morning, I want to focus on two ways in which we see things. First is through the lenses of fear, and second is through the lenses of faith. So turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Numbers chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on a chair around you. Grab that Bible. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. There's a story here in the book of Numbers that gives us a perfect example of what happens when we see the future through the lenses of fear instead of the lenses of faith. Um, here's where the story picks up while you're turning there. Moses has uh, uh, 
been leading the Israelites through the wilderness. They've uh, been released from Egypt. God has delivered them. So they're wandering around and they've just arrived outside of the promised land. And God had promised this, this land. It says, hey, this is yours. All you have to do is, is go in there. And so God talks to Moses and he says to Moses, hey man, here's what you're going to do. Send 12 spies into the land to give you a report and bring that back to you. And so Moses sends in these 12 spies, these 12 leaders from the 12 tribes, and they come back with two reports. There's this majority report, and then there's this minority report. A 10 of the spies come back, and they have this very different perspective, and the remaining two come back, and their perspective is very different, and, and we'll get more into that in a minute. Spoiler alert, though, there are only two who actually get into the promised land while the remaining others get to wander in the desert and the wilderness the rest of their lives. And so what I'm hoping for this morning and, and as we proceed, my hope for me, for this church, for you, is that in 2013, we will get to leave the wilderness and experience the promised land. But my fear is, is that some of us, we love the wilderness. We love to wander around complaining and, and making excuses, uh, living in fear of what God has promised us. So Numbers 13, we're going to start in verse 17. It says this, and I have a northern accent, so sometimes I pronounce words differently, so bear with me. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. And whether the cities they dwell in are, are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are trees in there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. In order for 2013 to be the best year for your resolutions, your goals, whatever it is you're seeking, for it to happen, you have to first see it. Seeing is believing. If you can't see yourself being healthier, you'll never be healthier. If you can't see yourself going to college or going back to college, you'll never go to college. If you can't see yourself taking control of your money, you'll never do it. If you can't see yourself as the spiritual head of your family fathers, then you won't be. If you can't see yourself getting right with God, then you won't. If you can't see yourself breaking addictions, whatever it is, if you can't see yourself doing it, you probably won't do it. If you let the lenses of fear tell you that God can't use you, that he won't use you, then it's probably true. We joked about this in our staff meeting the other day. Um, we're strategizing and we're preparing for this influx of babies into our kids program. Um, I hope you're not drinking the wa water if you didn't want to get pregnant here. Um, but it was just, it's crazy. And so we have a ton of babies coming in. And so we need to recruit more volunteers. And every time we start recruiting volunteers, we run into the same issue with some of our dads. Uh, there are several fathers that have said, when asked the question, can you help? Can you serve in our kids program? They say this, and remember, these are fathers. They say this, I'm no good with kids. You don't, you don't want me helping with kids. Uh, kids are not my thing, right? I don't want to be the one to wreck it for you, dad, but you have kids. It's too late, right? You know, so... No excuses, right? But here's the thing, and it's true for all areas of our lives. The man or woman who says, I can't, and the man or woman who says, I can, you know what? They're both right. If you can't see yourself doing something or being something greater than you currently are, 
You will never be or do greater things. So verse 21 said this. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Labo Hamath. I told you northern accent. They went up into the Negev and came to the Hebron. Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talamai, the descendants of Anak, were there. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of the Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. I don't know what kind of grapes you're eating or where you're getting them from, but a single cluster of grapes from Ingalls, you don't need two men to carry. So I'm envisioning this land of the lost, giant fruit, giant flowers. This land of Canaan seems to have been created by Spielberg or Tim Burton, right? So verse 25 At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. Well, here's where the lenses of fear begin to control what they saw. Because from what I read so far, the promised land... Sounds pretty awesome, right? You know, I like people and I like big fruit, right? And so this place has both of those. So, but... When you choose to look at God's plans or God's promises through the lenses of fear, your perspective doesn't look pretty awesome. So let's look at what happens when you see your future through the lenses of fear. And this is something I got from Rick Warren. Number one says this, we get stressed over conflicting reports. Verse 27, they told him, we came to the land in which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit, but... The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. We just got through here in America one of the most interesting elections I've ever seen. And the media and social networks, to me, were laughable. Some of you and your Facebook posts and sources you use were laughable, right? They were filled with fear, uh, these what-ifs, uh, everything focused on the negative. And I would scroll down the screen of my Facebook, and, and there would be a pie graph there. And the pie graph would show how bad the unemployment is, you know. And then I would drop down, and then there's a chart saying how good the employment is over the last four years. You know, com- completely conflicting reports driven by fear. Verse 28 says, but the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and the very, they're very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. So what's the, first ver- what's the first word there in verse 28? But my hope for this church, for me, for you in 2013, is that we would not let our butts hold us back. And some of us have huge butts, right? We need to get and let go of our excuses, our problems, and move past our past and into the future. I can't tell you how many butts we faced since becoming pastors here. Last year, I told the staff and the elders, I said, you know what? No longer will we be held back by our butts. No longer will we listen to the theys, the, the theys that want to stop God from moving this place forward. I was encouraged by Debbie White's blog this week. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's called feedyourstrength.blogspot.com. You need to check it out. But earlier this week, she quoted from Acts chapter 5, Um, Verse 38, and this is a moment where the authorities have captured some of the apostles and they're deciding what to do with them and this is what what their uh, superior told them to do. Verse 38 says, so in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men, the apostles, and let them alone 
For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. I have no doubt that God is in control in this place. That he is leading our elders. He is directing our mission and vision. Are we flawed? Do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we believe God can still use us in this place? Yes. I am choosing to see the future through the lenses of faith. People will try to use their big butts and their fear lenses to stop God from moving here. But in 2013, are you going to let your butt, your, your fear lens, your excuses, will you let conflicting reports keep you from reaching your goals? The second thing that happens, uh, that happens when we view our future through the lenses of fear is in verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Morites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. In other words, they're saying, hey, there's no room for us. Look at all these people. Does the phrase scarcity mindset or scarcity mentality sound familiar to anybody? It, it, when I heard it, I, I knew it wasn't the first time, so I Googled it. Um, and it took me back to a book that I had on my shelf. It was called The Seven, or it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Some of you have read it. In that book, Covey uh, coined the idea of the abundance mentality uh, or the abundance mindset. He says that, hey, there's a concept where, where a person believes that there's enough resources and enough success to share with others. He contrasts that with the scarcity mindset or the scarcity mentality, which is the, the destructive and unnecessary competition, which is founded on that idea that if someone else wins or is successful in a situation, that means you lose, right? Not considering the possibility that all parties winning in a given situation. And so I'm gonna read a, a part of this book by Stephen Covey. Um, let me just start here. It says, All right. It says here, most people are deeply scripted in what I call the scarcity mentality. They see life as having only so much as though there were only one piece of pie out there. And if someone were to get that piece of pie, it would mean less for everybody else. The scarcity mentality is the zero-sum paradigm of life. People with the scarcity mentality have a very difficult time sharing recognition and credit, power or profit, even with those who help in the production. They also have a very hard time being generally happy for the successes of other people, even, and sometimes especially, members of their own family or close friends and associates. It's almost as if something is being taken from them when someone else receives special recognition or windfall gain or has remarkable success or achievement. Although they might verbally express happiness for others, inwardly they are eating their hearts out. Their sense of worth comes from being compared and someone else's success to some degree means their failure. Only so many people can be A students. Only one person can be number one. To win simply means to beat. Often people with scarcity mentality harbor secret hopes that others might suffer misfortune. Not terrible misfortune, but acceptable misfortune that would keep them in their place. They're always comparing, always competing, they give their energies to possessing things or other people in order to increase their sense of worth. They want other people to be the way they want them to be. They often want to clone them, and they surround themselves with yes people, 
People who won't challenge them. People who are weaker than they. It's difficult for people with scarcity mentality to be members of a complementary team. They look at differences as signs of insubordination and disloyalty. Sound like anyone you know? Sound like you? To be honest with you, at times, this is, this is me. It's the lenses of fear giving me the perspective that if I don't win, then you win. And to be honest, I have a hard time sometimes celebrating with people because it might mean that they're having success somewhere that I'm not. And I recently saw how I began to pass this down to my kids. Check this out. We're at my in-laws this last week, and the kids and I are upstairs in the bedroom, and we're playing Connect Four. And I watched the scene of scarcity mentality play out. And before I continue, I know some of you tell my kids when I use them in my messages, could you not do that, please? They are asking for money every time they get mentioned, so don't do that. (laughs) But here's the scene that played out in front of me. See, my kids are not happy when anyone besides them are winning at a game video game, board game, whatever it is. Maisie, the older sister, hates losing to Cannon in anything. He usually doesn't win, but it, so it's kind of cool. But he, he, was, he was winning this game of Connect Four. And so Maisie decides to quit. She rolls over and starts playing with her Kindle. Totally weak move on her part. Well, you know who hates losing to a younger sibling more than Maisie? Cannon. Not me, Cannon. I heard you. <laughs> I'm the youngest, can you tell? (laughs) Rio, she's in the room with us, walks over to the game, grabs a red chip from Maisie's pile, and drops it in the Connect Four, and connects four of the red chips. Cannon just got beat by a 19-month-old. Cannon takes the board, throws it across the room, scattering chips everywhere. It was the scarcity mentality. If you win, then I lose. And I would love to say they get it from their mom, but it's me. So, I need to, we need to change and shift our paradigm to this abundance mentality. There's enough for everybody. We celebrate wins as a community. There's enough room in God's promised land for all of us. There is more than one star at this place. For instance, this year, this pulpit will be filled with multiple stars. I'm not a spotlight hog. I'm not threatened by other leaders, other speakers, or people getting credit where credit is due. I want to see this place win. I don't want the credit. I want God to have the credit. Acts 5, remember, said, if this plan is of the undertaking of men, it will fail. But I believe this is of God. And so I want to get out of his way. The third thing, if you're taking notes, is to fulfill my self-defeating prophecies. That's what I do when I, when I put on these lenses of fear. I fulfill my self-defeating prophecies. Jeff, your biggest obstacle in life is you. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this in my life. My parents, my teachers, my uh, middle school principal, my probation officer. Jeff, your biggest obstacle in life is you. If I'm going to be someone new in 2013, I need to get out of the way. I need to quit listening to fear and I need to live by faith. I love optimistic people, uh, but they're the minority, right? Most people get their lives, their spouses, their job as glass half empty type people. I'm not smart enough. I wish I had a better husband. I hate my job. This will never work. I can't change who I am. I don't have what it takes. And on and on I could go. You cannot let fear fulfill your self-defeating prophecies. Ten of the spies sent into the land by Moses wore lenses of fear. And they let fear fulfill self-defeating prophecies. Verse 31. 
Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. Moses sends 12 spies into Canaan and only two have faith, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 had fear. People who trust God are always in the minority. It's so much easier to, to not trust God, to question his promises, to, to doubt, to, to wander in the wilderness. It's so much easier to doubt yourself, to listen to the voices from your past and from your head saying, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, the, the they's in your life. Take my advice, don't listen to the they's. They usually don't exist. Number four, you infect those around you with your negativity. It says, verse 32, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. Anybody have negative people in their life? Anybody wish they could get them out of their life? Yeah, a few of you. You have to ask yourself, are these people healthy for me? When I leave the conversation, do I have greater hope or am I now depressed too? If I listen to the negativity, I wouldn't still be doing what I do. People have come and gone in my life who have done everything they could to make me feel less than hopeful. I've shared this story before with you about the prior, uh, the weeks prior to me accepting or putting my name in for the lead position here. I sought out the counsel of some of my friends, some of my mentors, some of the people I trusted, and I told them of the church's history, the history that I was never told of until I moved here and took the position myself. I found that out later what the history was. But I, I told my friends and mentors of what I was getting into. And I don't think one of them said it was a great idea, right? And you know what? They were right. But I look back in the last five years, and there's no other place I'd rather be than here. God has never promised me fair. God has never promised me comfort. God has never promised me anything except his presence. And I don't question that God has been with me and in this place for a moment. You can question it. But as I said before, it's easy to question God and his presence in your life. The enemy would pleasure in nothing more than you questioning where you are with God. You look at the Israelites just in the story. They, they were living in slavery. They were set free, miracle after miracle, and they still question who God said he was. It was the negativity that caused them to question God. You have to get negative people out of your life. You need to distance yourself from them. I got to see my brother Scott over the break and he flew in from Seattle and we went to see the, the game together with some friends. And my brother doesn't have anything positive to say about God. He has a perception of God that's negative. But when we're together, he doesn't talk negative about God or about this church or what I do. But some of you, I know you have people in your circles who don't have anything positive to say about God. They, have a, they, have, they speak negatively about God, about this church, about religion. You must be careful to not let that negativity influence you. If every time you're with them, all they say is the same stuff, then you need to quit hanging out with them. 2013, will you pledge with me to not let negativity spread by you wearing lenses of fear? You must put on lenses of faith and boldly enter with courage the promised land. Number five says, we see ourselves as inadequate for the challenges ahead. Who has seen The Hobbit? Raise your hand, seen The Hobbit. Who has read the book? 
Who knew there was a book? <laughs> um, well, it's a good movie. Go see it. But it's a perfect illustration, so I'm going to do my best not to wreck it for you, okay? Here it is. Bilbo Baggins is a hobbit chosen by a higher power to go on a journey that might cost him his life. I won't tell you if it does. If you've seen any Lord of the Rings, you'll get that joke. But Bilbo sees that there is this great danger ahead. And there, through his lenses of fear, he rejects any idea of going to this journey. He repeatedly says, I am not the hobbit you seek. I'm not adequate for the challenges ahead. Spoiler alert. He steps out in faith and he goes on this journey. But he doesn't fully remove his lenses of fear. He listens to the conflicting reports of himself from those who believe in him and then those who don't. And he lets the negativity around him convince him of the self-doubts he already had. And about an hour into the movie, an hour and 40 if you have to listen to previews twice, into this movie he gets the opportunity to walk away. And he goes on this short spiritual journey and becomes the, go see it, it's a great movie. Here's a report Moses got from the 10 living in fear about the journey they were about to go on. Verse 32 saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And then we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. We seemed to ourselves and so we seemed to them. Underline that in your Bible. I don't care if it's yours or not. Underline it. We seemed to ourselves and we seemed to them. The challenges that await you in 2013 will seem impossible through the lenses of fear. You will look at yourself as inadequate and unable to conquer anything. But through faith and through the lenses of faith, you will begin to see yourself as more than able. The perception people have of you is usually never the same as the perception you have of yourself. People rarely see you the way you see yourself. You see yourself as unattractive, unworthy, weak, whatever it is. Chances are you're the only one in that room thinking that. You think you're awesome and that you're God's gift to mankind? I promise you, you're the only one thinking that. So, for instance, I like to think I'm funny. Do you know how horrible of a crowd you are to tell jokes on Sunday mornings? And you're either sleeping or afraid to laugh at church. Or I'm not as funny as I think. So, it's, it's, a, it's, I'm, I'm, it's fear. You don't have to laugh to make me feel better. <laughs> a little louder. All right. I, I make myself, remember the last thing is I make myself and those around me miserable. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, the fear, fear makes a miserable companion. I never understood when the mystery gang would split up, why they would let Scooby and Shaggy go off together. There was no alpha male in that duo, right? I didn't make sense to me. Have you, have you guys ever been somewhere going maybe down an unfamiliar street or a dark alley or maybe at an away game in Robbinsville? You know, and you're, 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 hoping, you're hoping that the guy or girl with you knows karate, right? Just in case things go bad. But when you realize that, you're, that the person you're with is just as afraid, you might be in trouble, right? Fear makes for a miserable companion. Do you know that when you use fear to view your future, you sound like Eeyore. Anyone have an Eeyore in their life? You know what I'm talking about? That gloom and despair everywhere. That donkey was miserable, right? It was a good thing Pooh lived by faith, right? But when you let fear invade and control your perspective, you make yourself, and I would add, others around you miserable. So Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. 
And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Fear will make you and everyone around you miserable. Verse 4. And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Fear will also cause you to complain about leadership. And they had Moses. Some people would rather die in the wilderness than take steps of faith, take risks, or make changes and move forward. Well, so how do we fix this? What, what, do we, what hope do we have? Uh, how do we change this in our, and switch our lenses? We need to look and learn to look through lenses of faith. Verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb stood before the people and said, We are going to defeat fear with movement. I'm not living in 2012, 2011, 2010. When we took the job here as lead pastor in 2007, we said we're not living in the past. We will defeat fear with movement. We are at a pivotal place here. The, the first Sunday of 2013 and we're, we're going forward. You cannot take hold of your future if your hands are wrapped around the past. That might involve you forgiving people or asking for forgiveness. It might involve you repenting of things. It might involve you getting help with an addiction. It might involve you leaving a relationship. I'm not sure what it might involve for you. Faith defeats fear. Faith brings courage. Faith causes you to move. You cannot dream your fear away. You cannot wish your fear away. You cannot talk your fear away. You cannot hope your fear away. Only by moving forward can you defeat fear. So how do we do it? Well, first, I think it might be time for you to stop playing games with God and really invite him into your heart. Maybe for the first time or maybe this time for real. You've been coming here and you feel God's presence and you feel him pulling at your heart week after week, but you just sit there. Today, this year, you begin by moving, by accepting his offer of salvation, inviting God into your life as God of your life. Okay, well, maybe you believe. You're like, you've accepted. Hey, I, I get it. I believe I've accepted his invitation. Well, then it might be time for some of you to get baptized. So many people don't realize the power that baptize, uh, baptizing unlocks. I'm not talking about when you were an infant or when you were uh, dedicated as a baby or when you were a teenager and you wanted to impress some girl. You know, uh, it needs to happen once you've you made a real decision to follow Christ. Jesus was dedicated in the temple as a small child, but when he was an adult and could make a conscious decision, did he go into the river and get baptized by John? We can go to Deep Creek this afternoon if you want. The elders said that they would baptize you there. I'll watch, but we'll do it. It's important. But for the rest of us, well, if we've done those things, well, what's next? We need to obey God. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among these, in verse 6, among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord 
And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. We cannot let our past sins, our fear, our self-hate rule our future. We must trade in our lenses of fear for lenses of faith because we have been ransomed by Christ. Watch this video clip. I have promised myself to be a new man in 2013, no longer living by fear. I challenge you to do the same. With the cross, with the broken body and shed blood, Christ has ransomed you from fear and hate. Now go and live for God. We're in 2013, we're moving forward, exchanging our lenses of fear for lenses of faith. I want you, I want to invite you with me on this movement. The band is going to play one last song. The communion tables are going to be opened. And I want to invite you to take part this morning. If you're visiting with us, communion is available to you. So stand with me as this a band plays this song. And go ahead and you feel free to take communion.